0: Hi everybody, this is Lori Handler, and this program is Contra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. And today, I have a very unique and interesting subject for the show. I have to admit that I don't know that much about it. Some people would find it a little scary, I think, and I know that I do, and some would find it really hot as a fantasy, very exciting and tantalizing, and I know I do. Maybe you're like me. You'll find it both, or maybe you'll find it a little repulsive. I I don't know. I, I I have no idea how you'll respond to it. But for me, it's a little bit scary, and for me, it's a pretty hot topic. It's a pretty hot fantasy thing. So my show today is about BDSM, bondage, domination, sadomasochism, and What a juicy, scary, hot, and even hidden topic. My guest today is Dr. Gloria Brahm. She has a Ph.D. in human sexuality. She's an author, a clinical sexologist, a sex therapist in private practice in Georgia, as well as a sex blogger. Gloria researches and writes about sex from A to Z, but specializes in BDSM fetish sex. And Gloria and I met on Facebook. That's how we became familiar with each other. Her topics really interested me. I was really drawn to things that she would post, like old time pictures, drawings from old books from different cultures. And also, she would post pictures of doors or wall hangings or things like that, that in my world of Tantra, very much interested me. And so I would look at these things, and then I would go to her blog. And then one day I just started writing to her. She seemed like one of the most interesting people that i have ever come across on Facebook. So I invited her to be on my show. So it's my pleasure to introduce you to Gloria Brahm. Gloria, how did you get interested in your topic?
1: Uh, I got interested in my topic because... I, it was my own sexual identity and I started out, I guess, looking for answers to why certain things turned me on and why other things that seemed to turn a lot of other people on kind of left me feeling high and dry.
0: (laughs) Wow. So you, how early is this, would you say? I mean, you, you're, you have a PhD in human sexuality. So you must have known from a really early age that you had to explore sex, yeah?
1: Yeah, I think like a lot of kinky people, um, you know, I kind of sort of knew even when I was a little kid that I responded to things and to different things. You know, I responded to things differently and I responded to different things than many of my friends. Um, I was just telling a client earlier, for example, when I was a little, I was completely fascinated by you know pirate movies and movies where people got tied up, or you know if I saw a spanking in a movie or on you know in a television show, stuff like that always intrigued me long before I had any kind of notion that it was even sexual or it connected to my sexuality and then, in my adolescence some of those connections started to be made. In other words, when I was exploring sex, I was always more interested in odd stuff. You know, if people had odd interests or odd quirks or fetishes, I was always really intrigued by it and always willing to explore. And for me, I guess it was a process and an evolution because even though I had many odd fantasies and and desires, and even though I knew what I liked in bed, um, probably like a lot of your listeners, I too felt very intimidated by the labels and wondered what they meant.
0: Right, yeah. Well, and you and I have talked a little bit about how, I mean, how BDSM can actually be a transformational form of sexuality. It, It could be transformation, Without a doubt, so so we're going to weave into that, and I imagine, yeah, it's a little scary. I mean, BDSM—it's so it 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 has the labels have so much attached to them. I think of people. I think of people dressed in you know, um, wow, that movie. There was a movie about World War II where somebody's dressed up as some Brunhilde and like a Nazi leather outfit with whips and things and and, uh-huh. and it was a Lena Wardmiller movie and I think of that as being the, the Seven Beauties the scary yeah yeah, that's yeah. Seven Beauties what a great movie what, that's my, my favorite, favorite that's
1: like my favorite movie of all time <laughs> all right, so, <laughs> but so not so for I the have... obvious reasons <laughs> not just because there was a femdom in it but uh, yeah um You know, and actually, I think one of the difficulties for me when I was in my 20s in terms of even connecting to the BDSM community, such as it was back in the 1980s, was simply that I really had never had that kind of fantasy. I never fantasized about Nazis, for one. (laughs) I'm Jewish, you know. Um, So I definitely did not go down that route. I didn't fantasize about (laughs) masters and slaves like in the fanciful pre-Civil War South, you know. I mean, a lot of the things that people consider to be fixtures, I didn't obviously, being a woman and kind of heterosexual, um, didn't fantasize about leather-clad goddesses, you know, whose feet I worshipped. You know, none of that, and those were all the things that I thought S&M was about, and I thought if you didn't do that stuff, and and a lot of intense pain, and I thought if you didn't do that stuff or like to feel that stuff, then you weren't kinky. So probably for me, one of the most liberating revelations was that um, not only did normal people do this, and, you know, not just crazy movie characters, but, you know, your friends and neighbors and colleagues, you know, just normal people. Right. But also that, you know, kink in itself is really, or as I see it, is actually a kind of Hedonism and individual self-expression, and that it can actually take a lot of different forms, which on the surface might not even look to most people like what they seem to think S and M is about. Right, you know, right. So
0: there are a lot. So, ma- so, so, so what we're saying. I mean, when we when you first started talking, first of all, I want to relate it to tantra because mm-hmm. I always say that tantra is transformation through pleasure. And then, of right. course, in the study of Tantra, what comes up when people are focusing on pleasure and on that being the door to bliss and the door to ecstasy, what ends up happening is everything that isn't pleasure comes up mm-hmm. all the pain in their life, everything they've ever suffered all the pain- all the suffering they continue to be addicted to, so mm-hmm. that's kind of figurative and and in in what you're talking about seems to me. Sort of literal, like how people can can go to some things, some fetishes, some some different practices or different sensations, and in, and include all of that in their transformation, which is really the way I see tantra. Does that make sense?
1: It does, and and I think that BDSM is uh, profoundly transformational on a lot of different levels for the individual. First of all. You know, there is simply the liberation of accepting, you know, accepting sexuality as neutral, neither bad nor good, but being good when bringing pleasure and being bad when causing unhappiness.
0: You know. Well, it's so it's, that's liberating just in itself, just that. Statement. Right,
1: just that concept. You know, if you can suspend your judgment about, you know, the actual act that you may need to perform in bed, because everybody's quirky in bed you know everybody likes it just a little tiny bit different or you know their parts are just slightly dif- you know centered in a different place than other people's or they have different parts of their body that respond erotically you know if they allow themselves to open all the doors and put all judgment aside and just explore what makes them feel the maximum of pleasure without labels I think, you know, you end up with a much healthier, more radiant sexual identity. And I think that cuts across everything, whether it's tantra or being gay or being a slinger or being the bdsm or You know, it's really opening, you know, opening wide the doors to perception, putting away your old judgments, and actually living in your body through your sexuality.
0: Well... I certainly... There's nothing I could say that I think is better than that. There's nothing in the world that I could possibly adhere to, teach, preach, coerce people into than what you just Mm -hmm. said. And finding in your own body whatever is pleasurable and opening yourself up, wrapping yourself up completely around that. Right.
1: So, for example, let's let's talk about pain, right? Mm -hmm. To most people... Pain is something you avoid, something you don't want, to a healthy person, right? You know, it's the self-destructive person who seeks out, generally, unhappy pain, right? You know, um, let's say somebody who cuts themselves. I think we can all agree that's an unhealthy, unhappy kind of pain. But then there are numbers of people for whom intense sensation feels fantastic, it spiritually transforms them or let's say there's a group in San Francisco centered around uh Fakir Musafar and many people have you know, um explored that path or taken it even further. You know, there are a lot of people now who who are doing flesh hooks, for example, hanging something well, I, I personally say wouldn't that,
0: but do. Yeah, but wait a second, but what was that term you used right before these these, these uh, suspension things? Sacco Back
1: here, Mustafar. He's a he's someone in San Francisco. He's been called a modern primitive, and he is somebody who has used his body for spiritual growth. And he will do extreme body modifications or st- extreme uh, rituals of pain, but his purpose okay. is not is to transcend. In other
0: words, it's okay. to
1: accept that pain as part of the journey.
0: And you're to, uh, likening that to these to the suspension. Lately, people are going to be... Suspe- they're suspending themselves with hooks in their own body.
1: Yes, because, you know, the point is that when you do experience that kind of pain, you have to bring your full focus onto exactly where you are in the moment it's happening. There's no time to think about oh, you know, I should have given my dog an extra walker. (laughs) What do I want to eat for dinner tomorrow night? (laughs) You know, it's all about right here and right now because it's so intense that your complete focus has to be on the moment. And that is very much part of the BDSM experience because most people will tell you, you know, in the moment of whatever it is, whether it's the foot fetishist finally having some lovely boots to kiss or the person who wants to be whipped to a certain level in the moment it's all about that moment it's being authentic in that moment 100 percent
0: right right and And i think that
1: is what really hooks people on the bdsm
0: now you said you would never you would never be you would never hang from hooks i would never in my my, with my right mind or in my left mind, I would never hang myself from hooks and put hooks. But I do know that the people who go to the Lakota Sundance,
1: mm-hmm.
0: all these Sundancers that go to Native American ceremonies, they hook sticks in their arms
1: mm-hmm.
0: and pull on them with some kind of rawhide and stuff. I know people that I. Consider to be completely sane who do that, and I, I would never put those sticks in my arm. I, I wouldn't
1: run a, a rope of cotton through my sinus passages either, and many yogis do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I will say that I would gladly help somebody do any of those things, though.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we're gonna, if that's we're just where gonna, they take... needed
1: to be, and if that's what felt right to them, if they were doing it in the right spirit, with the right purpose, because to me, as a sexologist and you know, and a therapist and all that, to me, the point of of sexual, of sex, of any form of sex, whether it's just masturbating or just making out with somebody, or if it's hanging upside down and you know, whatever it might be, the, you know, the purpose should always be to build intimacy, to right. build, um, personal knowledge, you know, yeah. and, and self-identity, and to live through your body,
0: and right. to be true right. to your
1: own body. You see, I'm not gonna be hanging off flesh hooks anytime soon because you know, if there's a crumb on my sheets, I can't sleep out tonight. night. I just haven't. That's my body. I accept that I'm at peace with my ridiculous body. Om. <laughs> you know. But I see nothing wrong, and I don't judge anyone else for what they need, because they have a different body. Right.
0: On a different well, I just want to... I, I just want to... I just want to... We're going to pause here for a second. If you just are tuning in, you're listening to Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. I'm Laurie Hamler, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Gloria Brahm, who is a doctor in human sexuality, and we're talking about different strokes for different folks. We're talking about BDSM. So we'll be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. This is such an interesting, amazing topic. If you're wondering how to get the absolute best from relationships, maybe the deep feeling of intimacy or the best sex or the most happiness, why not try getting yourself a copy of my book, Sex and Happiness, The Tantric Laws of Intimacy. Sex and happiness puts the innocence and love back into sex and gives Tantra the respect it deserves. Take charge of your life, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Get Sex and Happiness by me, Laurie Handler's. Only $19.99 in paperback. And $14.99 ebook. You can order Sex and Happiness at SexAndHappiness.com. That's SexAndHappiness.com. Well, we're back, and if you've just started listening to the show, this is Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. My guest today is Gloria Brahm, who I met on Facebook. Gloria researches and writes about sex from A to Z. And she specializes in fetish sex and BDSM. Gloria, I have to say, you know, so far, so great what we're talking about. I'm really mm-hmm. excited about the topic and actually getting a little excited about the topic as we talk more about it. And I noticed you because on Facebook you put these amazing collections of things. Where mm-hmm. do you find this stuff that you blog about?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I'm an obsessive researcher and i'm you know for some reason the subject of sex just never gets old to me i can talk about it and write about it and work on it every day and enjoy it and so uh i start surfing the internet i'll think of a topic or i'll think of you know maybe i'll see a piece of art and it'll give me an idea for something and uh you know god bless google is all i can say google takes <laughs> me everywhere i need to go and you know that's how and I anytime. find it. I find a lot of interesting stuff on eBay. I've become very expert at culling through their massive collections of uh, erotica and stuff like that. So uh, th- they've been a great source. And what I really love about them is that, uh, to me, it's almost better than going to a museum or a gallery site where you know what you're going to get. On eBay, sometimes you'll, you know, a collector will put something they found in their grandfather's basement, you know, from 1910, you know, and they'll put it up and it'll only be there for four or five days and then it's going to vanish into another private collection never to be seen again. So those are particularly exciting finds for me because I have an opportunity, you know, a small window of opportunity to grab an image and put it on my blog and show my readers something that they would never, ever have a chance to see otherwise.
0: And give us your blog so that people can go there if they want to start seeing the great things that i've been seeing on there what it's, give them the address of the blog
1: my name is gloria brahm g l o r i a b r a m e dot typepad dot com
0: and they can find all these great things that you write about i mean i think i first started seeing you writing there were some there were some drawings. That you noted that were they seemed Middle Eastern. Oh, you were comparing. You were mm-hmm. comparing at uh, some Middle Eastern slave market drawings. Oh, to... and harems,
1: probably right. Yes, yes, yes that's right. And that's when I first drawing. noticed Right, you. I did. I did a show once, I guess, about a year ago, just on harems. You know, just how harems were represented in art. You know, because that's that's when I get a theme, or you know, and I'll take it. In fact um to you know well this will be airing uh later but uh this week on my blog i'm going to do a whole show on the image of hercules the image of the strong man because as it turns out you know during all those centuries when you you can't find any really extant erotic art you certainly can find painting after painting after painting of nude muscular hercules and I'm you know, so I'm thinking, well, there was something for you know, people to look at.
0: <laughs> a little yeah, new. Some people had a fetish about that, about
1: strong. I'm sure they did. I'm sure there were a lot of fantasies around uh, those mythical characters because <laughs> they were the only ones that you could actually see without clothes on. Represented in the art.
0: Right. Mhm. Right. And then there's yeah. of course there's all the statues by by uh the famous Roman, the famous Italian artists and all the mm-hmm. things that you can see in Rome and Florence. Right. And, and people so, would... Well, I remember you a had a time, piece Those were really things.
1: shocking, scandalous things, you
0: know? It's amazing. It's really, it's amazing. what we, And also what we take for granted in art and then things that were shocking and scandalous. So back to this. So I haven't seen a lot of of fetish, sex, myself. I, he- I hear about it because I'm in the Tantra world and because I you know, of, the, of the circles that I circulate in. But I understand that there's something like, called a dungeon in almost every single city or maybe in every single city and maybe even small town, at least in the United States. Is this something that you also know about? Fetishes? Yes. No, dungeons.
1: Oh, dungeons. Well, there are, I, I, you know, there, people use the word loosely. It can mean a lot of different things. There are professional dungeons where sex workers, they don't, or we can call them professional dominatrices and occasionally, um, professional submissives, uh, enact fetish and BDSM fantasies. Uh, for a fee and then there are just lots and lots of people who create what they call a dungeon, which is really their b- dedicated BDSM space where they'll have toys or equipment or, you know, all the placings they like and, you know, it'll be in a, a usually well locked, uh, part of their home. Is right, so the kids
0: don't get in there. <laughs> so the
1: kids can't get in there and the, you know, the neighbors don't see when they're, you know, stumbling around looking for the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so but they're not actual so before, they don't they don't look like the dungeons of Europe. You know, they usually look like uh you know, nicely furnished carpeted spaces.
0: Okay. Well I I mean someone mentioned to me that there were that there were dungeons in you know, like places like discotheques, Only not discotheques. A dungeon that people actually go to, and they watch enactments of BDSM and fetish things, and then they can participate or not. But what I'm saying is,
1: the term dungeon is really used as you know is sort of code for BDSM play space. Let's put it that way.
0: And it can be anywhere. It It could be in somebody's home.
1: Yeah, it could be somebody's basement or attic or you know, uh, you know. A side room, you know, depending on the couple, if they don't have kids, they can do it in their guest bedroom, you know. I mean, but it's just a dedicated space, and usually when people talk about dungeons and cities, what they usually mean, and particularly if they're open to the public, it means that they have a staff there who, for a fee, will enact scenarios either by themselves so people can watch or they'll engage with private customers.
0: I see. I see. Yeah, but
1: that's so in your practice.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's commercial. I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand. So in your practice, well, you let's just let's find out a little bit more. In your practice, you someone would come to you. Who, how would they find you? You would be listed as a sex therapist.
1: Yeah, I'm listed as a sex therapist, and there are not a lot of sex therapists. So if you type. Sex Therapist Georgia, which is most people just Google me, or quite a number of my clients have read my books. So they already knew my name, and they looked for me, and then they realized I was a therapist, so, you know, that kind of a thing. But it's all been word of mouth or Internet. I don't advertise.
0: Okay. So someone comes to you, what are some of the typical situations that someone would come to you for? Do they come to you for premature ejaculation? Do they come to you they for do. erectile they come dysfunction? They
1: do. They come, you know, I I see everybody, you know. It it ranges from uh performance issues, male and female, you know. I currently have you know, uh two clients in my practice who are just working on basic function, you know. But probably the majority of my practice meaning, you know, Seventy percent plus will be people who have BDSM or fetish concerns. Otherwise, I work on everything. I've worked on body image issues with people. I work on, um, as I said, function. I've worked with people who were in abusive relationships. You know, anything and everything. But most that has, the, okay, yeah. But the but most, most are coming to me because they know um, of my expertise in BDSM. And that's really what they want to work on.
0: So they come and they're mortified, or they're they're or they're, there's a partnership and one person wants to be tied up and the other person can't bring themselves to do it. Or I'm just I'm trying, to, I'm trying to I'm the
1: wrong. Let's put it this way: I'm the wrong person to come to if you want to get a negative message about human sexuality. So people who are mortified <laughs> or think it's shocking and horrible, chances are they won't come to me because you know i my bias is out there for the public to read it's in my you know on my therapy yeah. page you know that you know i don't view uh sexual diversity as mental illness you know i i don't believe that people need to be cured of their sexuality so to speak unless it's a sexuality that harms other people like you know, I don't believe there's a cure for pedophilia, but I believe it should be treated. And I, you know, um, I <laughs> obviously am really against it. You know, not all right. sexual urges are positive sexual urges. Some really cause harm in the world, and that's one of them. But things right. like EDSM, when you're talking about two consenting adults who want to do it together, you know, and it's fully consensual... Then to me, there's nothing that needs to be cured. What usually needs to happen is people need to be better educated and more self-accepted.
0: So. Yeah. So well, that's, uh, that's kind of what I meant when I said mortified. I mean, one person might expose, one person in a partnership might expose themselves to the other partner and the other partner, for example, I'll just give an example. I had a partner once who really liked pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, during, right, right before uh, orgasm, like he really liked pain. He liked, you know, nails going into his
1: mm-hmm.
0: legs. Not nails, like a hammer and a nail, but fingernails. And well, I understand. he and, after, and afterwards, he would deny that he liked it. Right. We would so, call
1: that a, a blocked sexual energy, right? You know. Yeah. Yeah. So he would be the kind of person right. I mean somebody like that would probably benefit by working on his own denial about what he likes and and learning to accept the way that he is and and find a way to feel happy with it and and make good choices.
0: And seek it it out. The problem is that when
1: people you know, when people don't like themselves sexually or they deny themselves or they think something's wrong with themselves, then they tend to fall into very negative cycles. They make very bad choices in relationships. Crappy self-esteem about their sexuality usually leads to crappy self-esteem in relationships.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. it's, and it's lurking in there all the time with the shame and the mm-hmm. guilt.
1: But, I, you know, so I will then... tell you, some years ago I had a, a woman call up and she wanted her husband, she wanted to make an appointment for her husband. And the reason she wanted to do it is because she was convinced that he was a sex addict. She had gone to a Christian counselor with him. I'm in Georgia, so there are a lot of Christian counselors. And the Christian counselor had also, agreed, right, had also agreed that he was a sex addict. In their opinion, he was a sex addict because he wanted to have sex every day. Oh. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> How unfortunate! <laughs> yeah, how bad, you know? How oh, G lady? You know, and she was really upset because now he was in his fifties, and she thought for sure, you know, he'd be over it by his fifties. But no, he still wanted to have an orgasm a day. So clearly, he was sick, yeah. and she wanted me to cure him. You know that. You know, and it was a you know sort of a poignant, ironic moment for me to you know have to explain to her that. You know chances were the problem were her and not him. that he yeah. was a guy it sounded like with a healthy libido. maybe it was a stronger libido than other people, and certainly it was a stronger libido than her. But to a sex therapist, you know a vibrant libido is a sign of good sexual health. People who want to have sex every day I, you know I tend to think that's a healthy thing, you know me too
0: let you know. <laughs> <Me too. laughs>
1: Oh, certainly an orgasm wow. every day, you know?
0: Right. To me, right,
1: that's
0: a, wow. that's a, yeah. The only time that's I don't want to have
1: an orgasm every day is when I'm really depressed, you know? <laughs>
0: so. And then if you had an orgasm every day, it might help get you out of the depression, so. Correct. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing. Right. Well, so if sometimes you just...
1: people have to make the effort to be sexual.
0: Right, right. Well, I just yeah. want to let everyone know that they're listening to Tantra Cafe, a program for spiritual enlightenment. I'm Laurie yeah. Hansen, the host. It's my pleasure today to have my amazing guest, Gloria Brandt, a Ph.D. in human sexuality. And she's talking to us about BDSM and fetish sex being possibly normal than, any, than than many people think. And she's she's talking to us about how to encourage healthy sexuality in ourselves and in others, which is which is really kind of the, as far as I can tell, the message also in tantra. So it's really it's I think great it is that, these, that it connects.
1: I, I think it is you know the message of all enlightened sexual adults is that sex is okay. <laughs> you know,
0: <I> mean, <laughs> yeah.
1: It's sex pretty is okay good. sex is clean it's sex is wonderful it's a part of life you know it's it's no less important than any other part of life it should not be more shameful than any other part of life it's good for the you know we have all the scientific research that says that you know regular orgasms improve longevity improve cardiovascular health improve Mood levels, you know, those are proven scientific facts for which there is plentiful data. You know, the holdup is that people, I think really because we don't have enough dialogue, which is why I love talking to you, you know, because you are having this dialogue on a radio show, no less, reaching other people, but I think there isn't adequate dialogue on, you know, positive, self-aware sexuality as opposed to the cultural message, which is, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. If you do it, you'll get a disease. If you do it, you'll die. If you do it, you know, God only knows, you know, you're going to meet a stranger on the Internet and, you know, he's going to rape you and, oh, my God. You know, it's a very, very anti-sex culture, and at the same time, it's a culture that consistently sensationalizes and exploits sex and to me you know the enlightened path is right in the middle you know it's sex is not dangerous nor is sex something so sensational sex is or should be an organic and natural part of human life
0: well certainly true certainly true and you have and gloria has a a A blog that she writes on regularly and I just have to tell you all that Gloria's blog is amazing. I've learned so much just from following her. It's only been maybe two months that, you know, since I found you. Yeah, since I found you and I started looking at things. I I am too. I am too. And tell us a little bit about your book. You have books that I know about different loving. And Come Hither, what do you just? Yeah, I
1: haven't written a book since Come Hither. It's been a long time, and I keep going back and forth in my head about whether I want to write another one or not. But my first and probably biggest book or best-selling book um, was Different Loving, which was really the product of me in my 30s still trying to figure out why was I kinky, why did I love bondage, why did... Uh, i have these fetishes what it you know did it say something about me how do people live you know and just to i guess pass along one thing that i had understood which is you know you don't have to be some freaky character out of a movie you can be um, a highly functional person who loves all the things you've always loved but also has ecstatic sexual experiences on the edge you know and so you know that's really what the book was about it was saying you know none of this is new Um, human beings have always you know everything we do now every kind of sex we have and can think of having was known to the people 3,000, 4,000 years ago they were doing these things too they just didn't have this whole medicalization of sexuality and and all the labels and, and, and the clinical analyses. You know, when your partner, for example, you know, was wanted rough sex in bed, he probably was most comfortable just doing it, not thinking about it. Because if you think about it in terms of today's culture, people would say, oh, that's bad, that's wrong. Right?
0: That he needs to have rough well, sex. they would say that maybe outwardly, but they might be having rough sex behind closed doors.
1: Yes, and a lot more people, I mean, that's kind of perhaps one of the most interesting things about studying and focusing on BDSM fetishism is that there's a lot more of that going on out there than anybody might imagine. It's just that most people um, don't ever talk about it. They just do what they do or they have some experiences and they, they never really attach that much more importance to it and they, you know, it's... Uh, actually I believe the minority of people who are so driven to it or wired this way to really need it on a daily basis that really thrash out the meaning of it all
0: yeah I I love what you use the word the edge you know Mm -hmm. like in your book Different Loving where you talk about having sexual experiences that are at the edge it seems to me that most people like entrepreneurs do entrepreneurialism, including I'm an entrepreneur so I can speak from experience. Entrepreneurs do their own business because it keeps them at the edge. Right. People people work out and build their muscles and increase their breathing capacity and do all kinds of physical things that are non-sexual to keep themselves at the edge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ice skaters and... And basketball players and all kinds of athletes do many, many things to keep themselves at the edge. So you're talking about a normal thing—the edge. That's right. Keeping edge. Your, where keeping where your, most
1: people would say life is lived the most richly and thrillingly, right? That's what's right, and, so and exciting about the edge. And, is and, that? Go ahead. Oh, just that you feel so fully alive there.
0: Right. You know, a lot
1: of of BDSMers, they didn't feel... I mean, this is a hard concept for people who are not kinky, maybe, but they didn't feel that alive in vanilla sex. They didn't have that intensity of emotion, that intensity of satisfaction, that intensity of relief
0: afterwards
1: from vanilla sex, because that's a really common phenomenon in kinky people. Whereas, you know, you could bang them silly for hours, and it would be, you know, nice, like a massage, like a good massage. But if you put (laughs) them in bondage, you know, or you pee on them, suddenly it becomes a transcendent experience for them. It it just, again, they're fully present, they're fully alive, they're fully turned on. And it can be less obviously sexual, you know, some of the BDSM, than actually having intercourse, you know. You'll see people in clubs and you'll be thinking, what are they getting out of it, right? They they don't even seem to be, you know, they're not having orgasms. Nobody is touching their genitals directly. You know, it might just be a spanking. But for them, it may well be, not always, but, but sometimes it may well be, a peak experience, a peak experience that they don't have from what's considered, you know, normal or typical sex. I don't usually, yeah. actually, I don't even like the word normal because it's it's really meaningless sexually, <laughs> you know. Right,
0: it doesn't, yeah, right, exactly. It, it doesn't no mean meaning. anything. No. Maybe no. normal is unexplored sex. You know, maybe normal means sex that, is done in the dark by two people very quickly, and they produce a bunch of babies, and they never question it, and nothing outside <laughs> that bed or anything ever happens. But there's not that many think people about who what, do that, uh,
1: right? If you think about what our culture considers to be normal sex, it is the most antiseptic sex imaginable. It's in the dark, lights off. It only lasts seven minutes. It's men on top.
0: That's it, right? right. And That's it, it, and sad. it's vaginal
1: <laughs> penetration only. You know, right, it, it, right. it doesn't even you know it, it doesn't even include foreplay. It's really the most. I won't call it primal at all because if there's nothing natural and primal about it, it's really sort of primitive and repressed and religious sex. Yeah, because really yeah. that is. Where most of people's ideas about what normal comes from, they really come from the notion of what kind of sex your religion wants you to have.
0: Right, right. This is so good. This is such a,
1: yeah.
0: It's such a hot topic. That's so hot just in itself. Just exposing that for what it really is, Mm -hmm. exposing control that's been placed, forced upon us. By whatever religion or ethnic, you know ethnicity, religion, culturality, mm-hmm. whatever that we that we've grown up in, and how it, how we're actually just supposed to make children to keep that particular group going, and there isn't mm-hmm. anything pleasurable or anything wonderful or anything to look forward to, and there's no edge to look forward That's to right. in any of that. It's,
1: because it is isn't about bad pleasure. It's about duty.
0: Right, right. The wifely duty, <laughs> <God>.
1: <laughs> the wifely duty, and the duty of the couple to produce more children to, you know, uh, promulgate that religion or Judeo-Christian-Islamo religion.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? really yeah. great to expose that. Really, really great to expose that. And it's and I love I love what you're talking about.
1: Oh, thanks. And the fact is that if any, you know, look at history or anybody who knows anything about the way people actually live their lives knows that it's always been nearly impossible for people to conform to that model because it's not a realistic model for what a human being's potential really is.
0: Right. Human beings have so much more creative capacity and they... Oh, yeah. They take it to the edge in every area, so yeah, you know, so good yeah. well well we're going we're we're gonna take take another pause for a moment here, but when we come back, I wanna to talk to you about if anything has ever shocked you, you know anyone who's come with a particular situation that's shocked you or something that you were shocked by in yourself, and then uh. I just want to know. I, I want to know. I think it would be really interesting to find that out, and then I'll ask you for some advice, too. from Oh, people cool. in, in this particular. Okay. Yeah, this would be great. So we'll be right back. If you have just tuned in, you're listening to Tantra Cafe. I'm Laurie Handlers, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Gloria Bram, who is a sex therapist. She's a, she specializes in BDSM fetish sex, and she has private practice in Georgia, in the state of Georgia. And we'll be right back. Are you somebody who loves adventure? Would you like to create more adventure in your love life? Join me and Gino Allegria on our Red Hot Tantra Tour to India this January 2010. You'll study six days of Red Hot Tantra in a palace, in Ajmer, in the state of Rajasthan, India's most colorful state. You'll receive six days of classroom instruction and then practice together with your beloved in the privacy of your very own palace accommodation. When the course is over, you'll visit the holy city of Pushkar. You'll see the world's greatest tribute to romance, the Taj Mahal, In Agra, and of course, you'll tour the world-famous Kamasutra temples in Kajuraho. Please be in touch with me, Laurie Hamlers, at butterflyworkshops.com for more information about this amazing, red-hot tantra tour in January 2010. That's red-hot tantra in India. Okay, we're back and we're kind of rounding down the show. And Gloria, I just want to know, is there any, you know, has there been any particular time that anyone's come to you and you've been shocked, given that you're really open-minded and, and really open about it all, helping people find their own kink or their own pleasure or their own edge?
1: You know, I can tell you I've been surprised many times. I've been doing this a long time, and, you know, the wonderful thing about sex is just when you think you've heard it all, you hear something else. (laughs) So, I mean, I can tell you, you know, story after story of people who've come to me and it really, you know, and I was really amazed. I had, for example, a man who was not a transgender man, but just he hated his own penis. He hated touching it. He hated everything to do with it. He didn't want to get rid of it, but he just was the most sexually repressed person I had uh, ever worked with, and I had really never met somebody who disliked having orgasms. Mm. So that was really an amazing um, person to work with. And you're know, very intelligent. I, I love my clients. I have. I mean, to me people who are really willing and ready to work seriously on their sexuality, I think it takes a huge amount of courage because it's such a sensitive, vulnerable place for people. You know? Right. You know? Right. And, uh, yeah, it's a hard place for people. So that was really amazing to me. And um, one of the most touching surprises was I once had uh, a dad brought his son to me. His son was in his teens, and I don't usually work with teens, but since the father was coming with the son and they really, really wanted to see me because they had been to a psychiatrist and they were really unhappy with the advice they'd gotten and they knew I was an an expert in this field. So they both came. And the son had a very distinct fetish, a very powerful and distinct fetish. And he was already 16 and he'd already had this fetish. And, you know, his interest was only expanding and the psychiatrist that they'd seen had said look it's probably just a phase he should you know he should try to forget about it and pretend it's not happening and eventually he'll outgrow it
0: oh, please. and
1: neither father nor son really thought that was it didn't feel right to them so they came to see me no and I told them you know he's not gonna outgrow it uh, you know if he is this way now And, you know, his whole pattern of behavior, he, they were really starting to have some problems because he felt so mixed up about it. And the more he tried to suppress it, the more he was doing unfortunate things like snitching money out of his mother's purse to buy fetish magazines, you know, stuff like that. And I said, right. you know, oh, that kind of behavior is the result of repression. But what I think really got to me was it, what was so amazing to me in a happy way was this father and son had the most open, positive relationship I have ever seen. The father had absolutely no desire to, you know, cure the son's fetish. He just wanted the kid to be happy. And he wanted to be sure that the kid would stay safe and happy in whatever he wanted to pursue. And that was it. He That's had no truly judgment.
0: amazing.
1: And that was... One of the most beautiful and amazing experiences ever. It really was. Because That's I was truly. able to work with them both. It took a couple of hours, but I was able to work with them both. I did some follow up with the kid, and about once a year now, it's been a few years, the kid writes me, and it, you know, it really changed the quality of his life. Because he understood, you know, he wasn't alone, there were other people, this was going to be okay. He didn't have to pretend that it was you know, one day he was gonna be cured and waste his life if you know what I mean. Uh waste his youth on thinking he's sick and he's gotta change. Instead I gave him advice on, you know, who to trust and who not to trust, you know, not to hang out with people who were a lot older him than him on the internet, for example. But rather to seek out anybody his own age that he could be open with in any way and you know he since has a girlfriend and does this stuff with her and she's totally aware and he's as close as ever maybe even closer to his father as a result of that because they both sought out a solution and it was really a beautiful thing and you know just drives home to me um, the difference between getting that vital acceptance for who you are from you know someone you trust and growing up feeling like you're all alone, and there's something really weird about you, and mm. thinking you'll never be happy, you know the difference between the two is the difference between quality of life and and misery. So that's my happiest
0: story. That's beautiful. You know, it reminded me of the you know the the uh, I didn't like the film, but the play Equus.
1: You mm-hmm. just
0: reminded me of the of the play Equus which is another one of my favorites where where the boy has sexual feelings when he's riding on the horses right but he also feels that it's against religion it's mm-hmm. against that feel it's against religion and so he's torn inside and it's it's, it's mm-hmm. such an intense thing but you just kind of demonstrated that in mm-hmm. this uh example we are who
1: you well, know we are who we are and our sexual formation really kind of takes place early in life and before we have conscious control over it if we had conscious control over it you know everybody would opt to fit that ridiculous victorian religious model because that you know we're all under that same pressure to conform you know Um, but you can't pick your sexuality you are who you are and the best advice and the best form of healing is to respect it within yourself and love yourself as you are and then try to make the best choices you can
0: right instead about a course of action about finding other people that you can play with who will let you be who you are and be happy to be with you on your edge with with who you are
1: exactly it's it's,
0: it's really terrific so when we come back to this as BDSM as a transformational form of sexuality it's so similar to everything that I teach people in tantra. I mean, I I, I want people to love who they are, worship mm-hmm. and adore themselves, become their own beloved, and then look at everyone else as beloved mirror out there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: rather than being dependent on anyone or whatever. And it seems to me that what you're talking about is is it's, it's the same exact thing. It's the same exact expression. Find who you are, be okay with yourself, love yourself who you are, and then find ways to share that. If yeah, if I someone wanted, is. if someone wanted to experiment, I'm going to just ask the questions. Like, if someone's listening and they want to experiment with BDSM or some kind of fetish sex, and they know it, obviously they know it because of what everything you just said. You are who you are, especially. Let's say they know it, but they've never told anyone. Or they've never experimented except behind their own closed doors. You know, they've fantasized about it, but they've not told anyone. What would you? What kind of advice would you give them?
1: Well, I would encourage them, of course, to find their own uh, safe place within it. I don't think it's a good idea to just go out and experiment until you feel ready to do it. In other words, you feel secure within yourself that. You know, you're willing to, you know, jump out of that airplane or sit in that sweat lodge or whatever it is, you know, that and that you're there for the experience and you're going to be okay, whatever you discover. So I think that is important. And, of course, it's always great if you can get as much education as you can. There are a lot of classes out there. There are a lot of groups. There's plenty of stuff to read, my books. There are lots of other books, you know, to really get a sense of where you're going with this or maybe where you want to go, and the rest is about making it happen.
0: Breathing. (laughs) The rest is about breathing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, making it happen for yourself, having a vision of, you know... I, I try to encourage people to, you know, become the people they are. Not to change into new people, but to fully be themselves.
0: If now, you how know would somebody yourself, get your book?
1: <laughs> None sorry. Of that. Um, Amazon. Just type Gloria Brain, B-R-A-M-E,
0: and my books will pop up. Okay, great. Um, so people can yeah. find out about this. Go ahead. I'm sorry yeah, I, I cut you off.
1: Find. No, that's no problem.
0: So, Gloria, it's just, it's been, it's so enlightening to speak with you. Really, mm-hmm. it is. I mean, you're so easy to talk to and to, to explore I'm very this easy. with. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to explore this with. I think it's, I really it's think it's so It's my favorite subject. Important.
1: I could just talk, that that gardening and my puppies. I could talk about sex, gardening, and puppies.
0: Until everybody passes. <laughs> <out. laughs> my three obsessions. Well, I imagine that they all—I imagine that they all fulfill a different thing in you. You know, they do. a different, a different aspect of you. Well, I just—I mean, this isn't the first time on my show, on any of my shows, that I've talked about this. I mean, I've had—I've had other authors and I've had mm-hmm. other people talk about it, but there is something about talking about it with you. That makes it feel, I hate this word, but I'm just going to say, because we said before that you said before you hated it, and it's so, who would want to be normal? But it's <laughs> talking to you about it makes it feel so normal. I
1: am the Make- most normal dominatrix you might ever meet. <laughs> That's how I see it, you know. What's odd about me? Okay, so. I like to hurt people in bed, but they want to be hurt, <laughs> you know. We're close right. and friends, you know. There's a bond. Right. Uh It's a yin and a yang thing. That's yeah. all. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: You know, it's I about suspending old judgments, getting rid of all labels. Once upon a time, we actually didn't have so many labels for sexuality. And sometimes I wonder if maybe that was... <laughs> In its own way. I mean, really where we have our concept now of, you know, what's normal and what's not normal is really according to what religions, Western religions, once deemed sinful or not sinful. It's almost exactly the same. If you look at the old religious writing, basically, the only kind of sex that they believe, that religions believe God approves of, is the kind that makes babies, period. And anything else was considered sinful. And then here we are. It's the 21st century. And a lot of people who would say, oh, well, you know, I don't really believe in sin, still think that, you know, if they do a funky kind of sex, if they have gay sex, or they, they have S&M sex, or maybe even tantric sex, you know, that, that that's sick. No.
0: Right. It's it's right. not. Right, but as I said really in my opening, and and mm-hmm. and I'll say this with closing, that I may not know about a particular subject, but just the thought of it might be a little scary, mm-hmm. and at the time, the fantasy of it might be very, very exciting and tantalizing. And I'm all of that. I'm all that in myself, and I imagine, I'm not, think about it, I imagine that, what you're discussing is everybody, pretty much everybody, including it all. The scary part, a little painful part, the fantasy part, the exciting part, the analyzing. That's really what makes life that yeah. edge in life. So. And well, I, I thank I, if, you so much. Okay. Go ahead.
1: I just wanted to say if I could leave one message to everybody, you know, when they think about S&M, just keep in mind, we don't all do S&M the same. There isn't a one universal S&M. Not every S&M you meet is into pain. Not every well, S&M you meet will isn't. have a fetish. So just remember, it's a diverse group of people. You know, just, again, you know,
0: there are lots of well, gradations. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're thank you very welcome. So much, this was fabulous. What a one. I'm having you on the show if you just tuned in and you were came in towards the end i'm laurie handlers this is tantra cafe you just were listening to gloria bram a phd in human sexuality one of the most interesting guests i've ever had on the show and what a juicy scary hot and hidden topic i love it thank you so much i'm saying namaste from tantra cafe